What is good, everybody? Welcome to another Niners Nation podcast. This is Under Review with Stats and Vish. I'm Rob Stats Guerrero. Going to be joined by Vish Kumar in just a minute. I think he got pulled into a work thing, but he'll be hopping on with us shortly. We have so much to discuss. The 49ers on a five-game win streak thanks to their beatdown of the Miami Dolphins yesterday. We're going to get to that. We'll get to some of the comments after the game from a lot of different people, actually, that I thought were pretty interesting, obviously, about Jimmy Garoppolo. Debo Samuel did some chirping at the Dolphins a little bit, which was pretty good. I also like some things that Brock Purdy said. So we're going to play those for you. We're going to get to all of that. But I do want to remind you, please rate, review, and follow the Niners Nation Podcast Network. We always say if you take the time to leave a review, we will take the time to read it. Uh, I apologize if I butcher this name. I'm going to say Niles or Nils. I'm sorry. Uh, But anyway, here is the review. Huge fan from Germany, and I appreciate the work from all you at Niners Nation. You guys are my only source for Niners content. I love the SB Nation NFL show as well. I don't have any Apple devices or Android won't let me review. I tried for so long. This is a DM to me, by the way. It would be an honor for me if you would read this to RJ and BLG, which I will. I really like your takes, chemistry, and your homerism. Thank you very, very much. I like. I don't like to think I'm a homer, but I appreciate the review. But like I said, keep them coming. We always will read it on the show if you leave it. I'm still glowing from yesterday. And I know that like Jimmy Garoppolo was hurt, and, and that's sad, and I get it. But we spanked, and I say we, and I don't care. We spanked a playoff team with our third string quarterback. And oh, by the way, the Niners opened at three-point favorites against the Buccaneers next week with our third string quarterback, the last pick in the draft, who had never played in a game, or I shouldn't say that. That's not actually true. He did get into the Chiefs game a little bit, but it basically never played. And the Niners are still three-point favorites against the Buccaneers as I welcome in Vish. Look at you with the fresh cut. What's up, I know, right? I had to do it. I had to do it. You saw the hair. It was it was unruly. <laughs> yeah, it's good. The uh, Facebook, the YouTube thumbnail will be good next week because I'll just take it from this. You'll be have the fresh cut. Um, what does it right. say about the YouTube thumbnail this week, huh, Rob? What are you trying to say? What are you trying to say now? I'm just saying that, you know, we could all use a haircut, including me, by the way. Um, let's get right to it, Vish, because a lot of people already are hitting us up. And a lot of want a lot of people want to know if the Niners are going to get Baker Mayfield. Eldon Lord Raiden, watching on YouTube, fantastic handle. Will Baker Mayfield be going to the 49ers? First, just a couple of nuts and bolts for everybody. Baker, if you claim him on waivers, is going to cost you about $1.35 million. The Niners are 24th in the waiver order. So 23 other teams would have to say no thank you before the 49ers would have a chance at Baker if they want to claim him on waivers. They could also gamble a little bit, roll the dice, hope that nobody claims him, and then maybe be able to sign him to a cheaper deal. Vish, first question, Baker Mayfield, yes or no? Do you want him? Oh, yeah, yeah, I do. And I think a lot of people are right now conflating their personal opinion on who Baker Mayfield or who they believe Baker Mayfield is. Cause I will say none of us really know we don't interact with him. Um, and they're doing, they're conflating that with what's best for the 49ers. Look, it's week 12. There's not many available options anymore at quarterback in the NFL. It's actually week 13. Um, and to get a guy like Baker Mayfield who has started, you know, 50 plus games in the NFL, you know, forget his draft status, all of that. When you look at Baker Mayfield and you isolate his talent, he's one of the 32 best talents playing the position in the NFL. And to have him available on waivers where you don't need to give up anything, it's valuable. Now, I don't think, I think a lot of people look at it, well, we signed Baker Mayfield and Baker Mayfield automatically starts. I don't look at it that way. At this right. point, I don't think Baker Mayfield has played where it turns into a situation where he even deserves that. Um, I think it's a situation where you get a guy behind Purdy who has credibility. And Josh Johnson has played for just about every team in the NFL. And (laughs) he has a ton of experience, but Baker Mayfield is more gifted than him. And I do think there's other variables that you and I discussed over the phone before the show that could make um, Baker Mayfield more intriguing when we're talking about long-term 
make the Niners, excuse me, more intriguing for Baker Mayfield specifically when you look at the long-term interest of where his career is right now. But forgetting all of that, yeah, I mean, you're not going to find a better football player than Baker Mayfield to come in and play quarterback. And right now the Niners have already lost two starting quarterbacks this year. I don't think people realize the gravity and the urgency, even if Brock Purdy looked pretty good yesterday on making sure that this season doesn't come to a complete bust because of quarterback injury after quarterback injury. And Baker, you're not going to find it. Look, as bad as anybody wants to think Baker Mayfield is, and I'm willing to entertain the conversation to say he's the worst quarterback in the NFL. Sure, let's entertain that conversation, okay, Rob? Even if he is the 32nd best starting quarterback, the 33rd, 34th, somewhere you want to go into the 30s, you're not finding that good of an option at week 13 on the waiver yeah, wire on yeah. December 5th. <laughs> yeah. Um, so a couple questions from people, Iceman 0072 on YouTube. Baker doesn't know the complex Shanahan system, which is true. He would need yeah. some time to get up to speed hundred percent. But then I like this question from Ben Chapman talent aside. Are you not concerned about Baker's personality and blend with the dressing room? Like Christian McCaffrey, who saw him in Carolina and Nick Bosa, who pretty much hates Baker's guts. <laughs> Yeah, and so Nick Bosa hates him because of their little Ohio State, um, um, Oklahoma, Oklahoma rivalry. I mean, yep. they, I mean that Baker Mayfield moment when he plants the flag at the shoe is one of the more so iconic good. moments in recent college football history. But no, I I don't think so. I think people overrate this a lot, um, especially when it comes to talking about the 49ers. The 49ers locker room kind of reflects the personality of the players within it. And they're all nice. They're down to earth. They're all humble. They're all, you know, welcoming and all of that. And I think that they don't, I don't think at the end of the day, it's very personal, this beef that is perceived to be having with Baker Mayfield. And I also think Baker Mayfield's personality issues were a little bit exacerbated by how shitty the situations in Cleveland and Carolina really were. At the end of the day, Look, I'm not going to defend Baker Mayfield. Um, He certainly has his set of issues or he's been claimed to have certain issues that I certainly can't speak to because I'm not in there interacting with him every day. But at the same time, I do think that when you look at the fact that he was drafted um, to a one in 31 Browns team that had, you know, come off two horrible seasons with Hugh Jackson and he was kind of given keys to the kitchen. They made him the star right away. They let him pick the coach and Freddie Kitchens. The Browns created that monster. And now Baker Mayfield is three years removed from that monster. Um, the Browns pretty much embarrassed him as much as you can embarrass the number one overall pick this offseason. They shut the door on him and said, please, we will pay you to leave. Like they paid him money to not play for the Cleveland Browns this year. That's as embarrassing as what the Rams did to Jared Goff, except they give him the extra punch out the door by saying nobody liked him too. And the Carolina personality stuff, I don't know. I don't think there's been anything coming out. I mean, Baker Mayfield did win the job outright in training camp with a short uh, uh, leash. Now he has not played well in Carolina, but Carolina's a freaking mess, man. Um, they're a mess all across the board. And I, I think that the 49ers provide structure. I think they provide organization. I also think Baker Mayfield getting released right now, he's in a little bit of a desperation mode. This is the last shot that Baker Mayfield is going to really get in his career. And I think the most important detail here, Rob, is that he asked for his release. And the timing of him asking for his release which was yesterday, and asking for it today tells me that he saw that injury um, to Jimmy Garoppolo, and he thought, well, this is my last chance. This is my last hurrah. That's the one place I could end up being. And I'm purely at speculating here, but to me, when I read this situation from afar, the way Baker Mayfield asked for his release to me screams that Baker Mayfield has a little bit of an understanding of what reality is, where he is in his NFL career. I mean, being Sam Darnold's backup is about as low as you can be in terms of moving up in the NFL. But all do you of need that me aside, for any of this? Do you huh? need me for the show or do you just want to go? Go for it. My bad. <laughs> I, I started going on and on about Baker. So no, uh, I'm only kidding. I did see this though. Speaking of guys that may have had their eyes on the 49ers injury situation. Did you see the tweet from Indomitian Sue? What did he say? He tweeted, it just gets better and better. Feels like I made the right choice. This was at seven o'clock in the morning today. 
Now, he may not have been aware of anything yeah. going on with the 49ers, but he did also tell Mike Florio that his choice came down to right. San Francisco and Philadelphia. Niners wake up this morning. Jimmy Garoppolo's out for the year. Um, oh, by the way, people are, are getting on me for cutting you off. Daniel Mayer says stats. Let him meander. Um, here's what no, we're going to do. Think you want, you don't, I don't think you want me to because I sometimes listen to these shows back. <laughs> and I, what stats just did there, I, I wish he did it a couple more times this show. Got the old lasso out and right. threw it around. Uh, right, here's what we're going to do. I'm just realizing now, like, I, I was talking about Baker Mayfield in Carolina and his personality, wasn't I? I yeah, went you, from Baker Mayfield to the 49ers to start analyzing Baker and Carolina. It took a turn. I was, I was going far. I was next thing you know, I might be talking about him in Oklahoma. These are strange days, Vish. Here's what I want to do because we're getting a lot of name suggestions. I'm going to go rapid fire with you. Quarterback possibilities for the Niners. Okay. Just give me a yay or nay. And then if you give me some yays, like, well, we can get into it after. All, All right? right. First up, Colin Kaepernick. No. I mean, I would like it to no. be yes, but it's no. Andrew Luck. Okay. I mean, <laughs> if he comes out of retirement, he's still under contract with the Colts. They would have to trade for him, and the trade deadline passed. But Robert Griffin the third. Is this a joke? No. I'm t- these are the names I got last night on the Instant Reaction Podcast. People are suggesting them now in the comments. I mean... Sure. Okay. <laughs> no, no, I'm saying I like, say no. no, yeah, I okay. would say no. Yeah. How about Drew Breeze? Didn't he just get struck by lightning? No, that was fake. Oh, okay. But either way, no. <laughs> Drew. Okay. No to Drew Breeze. How about this one from Kyle watching on YouTube? Ryan Fitzpatrick. I mean, this is probably the most plausible of the last five you've listed. And I would still say no. Really? No. I'm kind of intrigued by that, man. He's obviously a smart guy. He's played in a ton of systems, so I don't think he would, you know, I don't think it would be like totally foreign to him having to learn the offense in a couple of weeks. He's got some swag and some moxie. We know that. Now he's also got a pretty sweet gig with Thursday Night Football now. But I'm just saying, if I'm John Lynch, do I pick up the phone and make a call? Yeah, I do. Okay, here's my question, though. Here's my question, and – I can't answer this, but I'm going to, and I don't think you can answer it either, but I'm going to ask it anyway. Okay. There's a certain fire it takes to play football, um, especially play quarterback. I mean, you, 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 and it's one of the things that I would say has diminished over time with Tom Brady. It's just the other parts of his game are so good that he's been able to overcome it. You have to have a certain level of toughness to stand there under fire, knowing you're going to get hit and keep your eyes down the field. And that's where when we talk about guys who are so far removed from the game, and even Fitzpatrick, he's only one year removed from the game, I wonder if they still have that fire. And you see guys come back, Fair. right? Like Jay Cutler came back after like a short hiatus. And, you know, the one thing you could never question about Cutler was his toughness. He would stand in there no matter what, and he would take some brutal beatings. And when you saw him come back in Miami, I didn't feel like he was – the same Jay Cutler who was, you know, putting his body on the line no matter what. I thought there was a little bit of self-protection and preservation knowing that, hey, I got 20 more, 30 more, 40 more, 50 more years of this life thing. And uh, my football career has kind of come to a close. And so when we talk about these names and all of that, all these guys have such cushy gigs away from football. And we don't know how passionate they are about it. But the one thing we know about Robert, Drew Brees wasn't good on NBC, but both Robert Griffin and Ryan Fitzpatrick have been very successful the last year in media and you don't know how much that they want to just get back in there. And that's totally legit. I agree. Like it's a much better life as an analyst being an NFL football player is a life of pain. Yeah. Constant pain, rehab, more pain. Now you get a lot of money and, and obviously you can become a celebrity and then there's all of that. There's the adrenaline that comes with, but it hurts, man. No doubt about it. How about this name? Scott Brown. Is Trey Lance an option? I mean, I don't know if how many times Kyle Shanahan has to say that he was told no before people believe him. Um, I understand why this is a conversation. And someone made a really good point to me. I forgot if it was in DMs. It was in the YouTube comment. And if you made this point, I'm sorry I'm not crediting you by name. I just forgot probably you me. gave it to me. No, Rob, it wasn't you. <laughs> but <laughs> if it was you, I'd remember. But um, they basically said that a lot of the social media push they feel from Trey Lance 
on where he's posting his brother's posting how well he's doing is a little bit of him making a statement to the 49ers and I don't know if that's true but I do think that's an intriguing avenue to explore this conversation and maybe it is because every time Trey Lance posts a video the reaction from fans always is he's going to be ready oh he's healthy (laughs) oh he looks ahead of schedule Rob Pondia gives his um expert medical analysis on the three steps that Trey Lance took on video and how much weight he's putting on his foot that gets like you know 500 likes 200 retweets and Dr. Narab does great work. I'm not here to talk about that. I'm just saying that that's kind of the fashion and pattern that we followed over the last couple of weeks. But Kyle Shanahan continues to vehemently deny that he's going to be ready as far as he's been told. And right now I'm going to take his word for it. If you want to talk about the football aspects on why I don't think they would bring him back either, I'm sure we can talk about that too. But before we go there, I did want to ask you, because we never got your opinion on it, because I just started going on and on. But do you think they should sign Baker? Yes. Uh, Not to start, but you're telling me, look, Brock is the starter now, right? So who's the backup? Yeah, I want Baker Mayfield over Josh Johnson. Baker Mayfield is a Heisman Trophy winner. He's the first overall pick in the draft. There's physical ability there, like you said, that is generally not available to you on December 5th, the day we are recording this show. So... Yeah, go with Brock for the next few weeks. Get Baker in as a as a backup. See, get him as up to speed as you could possibly get him. Like you, you can figure it out, and and it'll be a good kind of litmus test too. Because like you know, people always question like, is Baker really watching film? Is he putting in the work? Well, we'll find out because he's gonna have to learn the offense. But I just, yeah, why not? Like, what is the? You really want to see Josh Johnson that bad? Like I no man. Josh Johnson, by the way, fourth tenure with the 49ers. You may remember him from 2012 or 2014 or 2020. (laughs) Now he's back. Right. The 20 was a little bit just he came out of nowhere. Yep. um, In the Nick Mullen, CJ Beathard year. But the 12 and 14 were just a product that he was Jim Harbaugh's guy in San Diego State. (laughs) Right. Right. Um, So, yeah, look, we'll see what happens. Let's get into Brock Purdy a little bit. I loved his demeanor on the field his moxie the swagger man like he was rolling around like he was not intimidated at all and you could tell let me play a clip this is Brock Purdy after the game when they asked him like are you intimidated at all it was a little you know just like the whole butterfly feeling of all right man like we're going in let's do this um it wasn't like you know I was out there like shaking and like oh shoot what do I do what's my read none of that man it's every single week I act like I'm the, you know, starter. I got to prepare like I'm the starter. And, um, you know, my name was called. Coach Greasy said, let's roll. And uh, just went out there thinking, all right, what do I got to do on the first play? Like, check can or, or not, you know? So, but once I got hit, you know, on, on uh, I think it was a rollout, it felt good just to be like, all right, got some contact in, and now I can roll and, and settle down a little bit. So, yeah. I love it. Yeah. I'm not nervous, but nope. Like, and he, if you watched him, it looked like that matched up. Yeah, I think I made a comment to you when we talked on the phone this morning that Brock Purdy stepped onto that field like he was the 49ers franchise quarterback, (laughs) which is like a bizarre demeanor and body language. But he has like, and you can feel it with the football team too. He's got like a Gardner Minshew, Taylor Heineke kind of moxie and character and grit to him. And the team kind of like... They, they really – you can feel that they – and we've seen they this team feeds off of their quarterback's energy no matter what. So it's not to say that they're feeding off of him more than they're feeding off of Garoppolo or Lance because they fed off those two guys' energy as well. But you can see them, like, rallying around the grit and toughness that Brock Birdie plays with. So his confidence is off the charts. And then the way he played – Rob, I thought he played – pretty well in fact I thought for a guy coming in against one of the more aggressive and crazy defenses in terms of how they blitz in the NFL against a team that I firmly view is one of the top five or six or seven best teams in the NFL even last night's performance withstanding I thought they just ran into a buzzsaw I think the Miami Dolphins are in a Super Bowl conversation and Brock Purdy walked into that game as a seventh round rookie quarterback And he played his butt off. He didn't make, and I would say he made mistakes, but he didn't make the game losing mistake. And then the one thing he did, and you could feel it throughout the game, is he gave Kyle Shanahan confidence. 
when Brock Purdy first came into the game, you could feel Shanahan was ready to go turtle in his shell. Yeah, and I'm going to just protect Brock Purdy and call this game like he's not going to lose. And I thought the turn, turning point was the third and 10 right after um, a bad play. I forgot what happened on that second and 10. I think it might have been a quick incompletion after a no gain on first down. And it was in that two minute offense. Um, and Daryl Johnson was saying, maybe they're going to run this and punt it. How are they going to manage the clock? And they went for it on third and 10 and Brock Purdy stands in their free rusher in his face and throws a strike to Kittle. And he converts that that third down. Kyle Shanahan told Peter King that was his best play of the game because he had to, he had to change the play or not change the play. Right. Because of the blitz, Kittle had to cut his route off early. And Kyle was on the sideline saying, oh, God, I hope he realizes what's about to happen. And Brock threw it in 1.7 seconds, which was the sixth fastest time to throw of any quarterback in the league this year. And it was a dart. And it was a dart. Yeah. And And so good call. And so I and here's the other thing to that um, play as well, Rob. Um, And you could see this. The Dolphins' defense did not have this plan of rushing five and six every play against Jimmy Garoppolo. Now, we only got to see one drive, but we saw a little bit more conservative defense besides the one play that he got hurt where they did come after him on that third down and Garoppolo broke his foot. But they were a little bit more conservative. I don't know how much the Niners were prepared or what they were expecting. We only saw one drive of Garoppolo. But we could see that they got way more aggressive when Purdy got in the game than for the one drive that Garoppolo was in the game. That was clear. And he wasn't rattled. He stood in there. He made a few more big-time throws, one to Jennings on a third down, one yep. on third and one where he rolled out and had a really nice off-schedule play where he uh, went under sidearm and threw it to Debo. Um, He had one really in a tight window to Debo on like a little drift route over the middle of the field that yes. Debo had a great catch against Xavier and Howard. So he really, really played well, especially for a seventh round rookie, I thought. And yeah, I thought his athleticism was also fully on display. In fact, sometimes I thought that's where his confidence was really maybe a little bit of a gift and a curse where there were a couple plays. I thought he ran himself into sacks because he's running around like he's a prime Russell Wilson or Mahomes. But at the same time, there was also plays that he made a play. And I think I wanted to point out a sequence that you would particularly appreciate. And they blitzed on third and five. They brought pressure and Purdy spins out the back around Trent Williams and was able to roll out to his left and throw it to Christian McCaffrey on the first down marker. Javon Holland made an incredible tackle, but that became fourth and one. The Niners went for it on that fourth and one. Now they didn't convert. That was the one mistake, quote unquote, he made. It wasn't really a mistake. It was fourth and one. He threw up a 50-50 ball into one-on-one coverage. They didn't really lose a lot of field position compared to a punt. So it was kind of a high risk or low risk, high reward kind of play, and it didn't work out. But I I thought that that particular play, the fact that on third and five, when they had kind of a busted call, he gave him a chance to get to fourth and one and go for it. That's all he needs to do. He was eight for 19 and third down yesterday. As long as he can continue to give him a chance and make one or two plays, this defense is so good, man. And Debo and McCaffrey, all these guys are so good. And on that play, like he doesn't look panic when he has to do that. Jimmy is like, oh God, oh God, oh God, oh God. With Brock, it was like, all right, I'm rolling out. You could tell, and I always look for this, when guy when that happens, how do they throw the ball? He uh-huh. very calmly, very poised, just threw it up softly. I was like, he's got somebody. Because you uh-huh. don't make that kind of throw on that play when you're rolling out like that unless somebody is wide open. And it was, and it was completed. You're right. And it set up a, a short fourth down. You know, it's interesting. I always listen for stuff because – Everybody on the 49ers has their guard up when talking to the media, right? Yeah. I always pick stuff apart. You pick stuff apart. That's generally what the media does. Everybody has their guard up. What happened when Jimmy, when Trey Lance got hurt? Oh, 49ers said, we're a better team now, right? This feels like 49er football. When people feel like it's safe to say things, they will say things, which brings me to this comment from Alec Parker watching on YouTube. Greg Papa, Niners play-by-play on radio said, Brock Purdy was the best quarterback at training camp. Anybody going to say that if Trey Lance is starting? No, no. Now the Trey's gone and Jimmy's gone and Brock is here. Here comes the truth from Greg Papa. And look, I wasn't at training camp. I have no idea if that's true or not, but I think it's interesting that all of a sudden this is coming out. I'll say this shout out to my man, Larry Kruger, because he's been on the Brock Purdy wave 
more than anybody I've ever seen. He went as far <laughs> as to say that he thinks he's got Drew Brees talent, and I still disagree with you there, Good Larry. Lord. But Larry did say um, from the start throughout training camp, and he attended all the practices, that, and he didn't mm-hmm. say he was the best quarterback, that he thought he was the most consistent and the most mm-hmm. accurate quarterback throughout training camp. And um, and I agree with you. I do think that these things are definitely some things that are interesting. Like Papa is definitely saying it now that it's safe. And I think it's yep. not just that it's safe. It's how Brock Purdy played as well. If True. Brock Purdy came and wet the bed, nobody would be had saying stuff like this. And I totally get it. The one thing I do want to ask you to Rob, right, is because the one limitation we're always going to talk about with Brock Purdy is the physical limitation. Mm-hmm. That arm is not very strong. But here's the one detail I wanted to point out. Yesterday, we got a really great perspective because we got to see Tua throw the football on the other side, and we got to see Brock Purdy on one side. How much stronger do you think Tua's arm is than Brock Purdy? I agree with you. Brock Purdy has a below-average NFL arm, but I also think Tua has a below-average NFL arm. And you go see both of them throwing side-by-side. Now, granted, I'm watching this on TV, but it didn't feel like I was watching Josh Allen and Christian Ponder uh, on one side or another. <laughs> it really felt like, well, if Tua can be functional, and now Tua does have some traits that Brock Purdy yet is yet to show that he has, and we'll find out if he has them. But if Tua can be functional with his arm, I'm not going to write Brock Purdy off today because of his arm. That's a fair point by you. And one more thing I want to say about the quarterbacks, and then we'll get to the defense because people want to hear about it, and I totally get it because they were awesome yesterday. I do think it's funny that the same people that were telling me how important Jimmy Garoppolo was to this team and how he was playing better than ever and he was doing all these awesome, amazing things are the same people that are now saying, oh, Brock Purdy, we can still win with Brock because he doesn't have to do that much. Right. Like, it can't be both. You either have to do a lot and play really great or you don't have to do a lot. But both of those statements can't be true. Which Which statement do you think is true, Bish? Oh, God. Here we go again. Don't even sit on the fence. Don't you do it. Because the reality is that it's a little bit of both. And there it is. You do need the quarterback to play at a certain level. And you do need. But I I would probably, you know where I stand on this. I would venture to say it's it's a little bit more about the 49ers don't require a lot about from their quarterback than it is about the quarterback was playing really well. Now, I will say this. The reason the Garoppolo conversation is this way is because in the past, the 49ers haven't required a lot from their quarterback and they've won despite their quarterback not playing well in spite of them requiring a lot. That was like a triple negative, but I think that made sense. (laughs) Um, but, um, yeah, like at least this year he was playing well and they didn't require a lot from him compared to like the start of 2019 when he was more or less awful and they didn't require a lot from him and went eight. No, I just want to know, like, do you have groin injuries? You're always sitting on the fence fish. Always. I don't know how you do it. I, that, that's why I need you. Cause you never sit on the fence. That's right. So we balance each other out. All right, let's get to the defense because a lot of people want to talk about it. I want to talk about it. And let me just say, I have been screaming for for weeks now that people are not talking enough about Nick Bosa for Defensive Player of the Year. And yesterday, he thrust himself into that conversation in a huge way. What I had said was hurting Bosa was that he didn't have the splash-type plays that Micah Parsons has had with the Cowboys. Well... He must have heard me because first down, it's a nine-point game, and the Niners need a stop, right? The Dolphins need a big play. They're fully capable of making a big play. And what happens? Nick Bosa flies around the defensive or the offensive tackle, steps up, whacks the ball out of Tua's arm. Dre Greenlaw picks it up. Greenlaw, who was everywhere yesterday, picks it up, runs it into the end zone. Game over. Nick Bosa was a monster yesterday, three sacks, and all of them came in big spots in the game. And that was the other thing that I said was most impressive about him. When they need a play, he makes it. And let me just read these numbers to you before I let you respond. Nick Bosa, sacks, first. Quarterback hits, first. Pressure percentage, first. Pressures, second. Tackles for loss, second. And he missed a game and a half due to injury. Nick Bosa's the defensive player of the year, damn it. Absolutely. In fact, the NFL kind of screwed him yesterday, too. 
They kept the Cowboys and Colts on national TV so that the oh. Cowboys can wear those stupid red, white, and blue helmets <laughs> and promote nationalism. And they made us suffer as fans to, one, have to watch the Niners game with Daryl Johnston in the commentary crew. That itself is like suffering <laughs> for us as a fan base. And then let alone they put it at the same time as the Chiefs and the uh, Bengals game. What the hell was that about? And that's where, like, they screwed Nick Bosa again because, you know, you give him Fox's second commentary crew and you don't give it the game of the week hype. And now all of a sudden the Cowboys win 54 to 19 against a terrible Colts team. And Jeff Saturday is still what Joe Thomas described, which is Jim's Ursay's drinking buddy, even though he <laughs> doesn't apparently drink. But Saying all of that, like Micah Parsons is still going to get hype, even though he had a two-tackle performance yesterday because the Cowboys blew somebody out on national TV and their defense dominated. And by far, their centerpiece of their defense is Micah Parsons. So let me get that rant out of the way. Now, regarding Nick Bosa, I, I thought that it was really just a normal performance, Rob. And that's where I was. Maybe he hasn't had three sacks, but it's been uh, a sack and a half, three quarterback hits. A sack and a half, five quarterback hits. You know, eight pressures, uh, two tackles for a loss, two sacks, four quarterback hits. Like, he's been doing this every single game. That's why I remember, I mean, how how fast did your prop bet for Nick Bosa's sacks hit this year? Yeah, buddy. I was dancing around the living room. That was the easiest money I've ever made in my life. It was 11, something like 11.75 was his over-under for sacks for the year. I was like, I couldn't hit free. the thing fast enough. There's like free right. money. To get in there. And I want to get to this comment too from Uriel watching on the YouTube page. We're not going to talk about Eric Armstead coming back and making them no. double team him so Bosa can get the sack. You're a thousand percent yeah. right. Just like Justin Smith used to do for Alden Smith, Eric Armstead makes it a lot easier. It is no coincidence that Nick Bosa's first multiple sack game of the year came with Eric Armstead back yeah. on the field. Wait, that was his first multiple sack? Yes. How many sack-and-a-half games has the guy had? Oh, wait, no, he had two against the Rams. I'm sorry, but that okay, was the only okay. time he had multiple sacks this year before yesterday. I mean, it doesn't help that sometimes these guys like Ebu and you think you're slick, but I see you when Nick Bosa's got the quarterback wrapped up. You jump on the quarterback and steal the half sack. Stop yeah, he's messing got with Nick Bosa's sack. stats. Um, but all those jokes aside, yeah, absolutely. Dude, Eric Armstead probably didn't show up on the stat sheet but if you watch that football game you felt eric armstead's presence the whole hundred percent he was pushing the pocket he was making it so hard on Tua. i thought Tua had vision issues and i think it's hard to see over six eight eric armstead i'll tell you that and i thought Tua mm -hmm. was having trouble seeing the field and Tua self-admitted having issues with his height seeing things he was very honest about that earlier this year yeah, Eric Armstead was dominant. This defense is different with number 91 on the field. I thought they found a level that was a little bit better than what they had been, and they'd been the best defense in the NFL till now. And they completely made the Miami Dolphins one-dimensional, which I wasn't sure if they were going to be able to do, but I also wasn't sure if number 91 was going to play. And number 91 kicks ass in the run. <laughs> he kicks ass, and he kicks ass against the pass too. And – he not only helped Nick Bosa who accumulated stats, I thought the other rushers also played a lot better because they had a little bit easier 100%. matchups, more space to operate thanks to him. I, I just I can't remember as I'm checking here. Dolphins, eight carries for 33 yards in the game. There was some Niners content creator that was like, oh, the Niners run defense is overrated. Who who was it? Was it oh that's right? It was you. <laughs> it was you, Vish. How'd they look yesterday? They look like the number one run defense in the NFL. Uh -huh. They look like a dominant run defense. And I would like to say that I did also, as I tend to do, see, Rob, this is where I'm a little bit more slick. I throw in, you know, free hedges and free passes. <laughs> and I gave myself the Eric Armstead pass from day one. See, this is where you got to start doing these things, Rob. And that's why even after you spend 45 minutes uh, praising the 49ers, you know, people still will say, Rob, you're the biggest hater ever. Rob, you're always hating. I'm not hating. I'm praising. This defense was awesome yesterday, and, and everybody came out. Did you see Emmanuel Acho laughing oh after the God. first play of the game, making a big stink about how the Dolphins scored? And I was sitting there. I wasn't panicked at all. D'Amico, they usually give up a touchdown in the first drive, and then they lock it down. And, like, yeah, it was 75 yards. Great. It still counts for just six points. It doesn't matter if it's one yard yeah. or 99 yards or if it comes after 50 plays or just one. So they scored the touchdown. I was like, ah, all right. 
but I knew Miami was going to hit a couple of big plays. That was a 75-yard touchdown. The Dolphins had 82 yards the rest of the first half. Calm down, Emmanuel Acho. This defense is for real. They're, this is not just the best defense in football right now. It's the best defense we've seen in maybe a decade. I agree. It's the And Shanahan has had some amazing defenses over the last four years. This is the best one, in my opinion. It's even better than 2019 because there's a better version of Nick Bosa and a better version of Fred Warner on this defense. And as long as those two guys are there, this is going to be a dominant defense. But even besides those guys, I mean, how many guys on the defensive line are playing really well right now? Greenlaw, you mentioned him. Greenlaw is a kamikaze missile flying around, hitting anything and everything that moves. And the only thing that out hits him is Al Shair. And whenever they go base, Al Shair is in some collision. I, I don't know how his body survives it on Mondays. Whatever he needs to do to get to Sunday, man, that guy's in as many collisions as anybody. Hufunga plays as physical as anybody. Gibson is still solid. Diamador Lenore is playing his butt off right now. And Rob, I don't think we can reiterate it enough. And I think it's going to be lost in the Purdy, Jimmy talk, Dolphins offense talk. But they took a guy in Tua who is playing as confident as and as efficient as any quarterback in the NFL. And what do I mean by that? I mean, when his back foot hits the ground, he knew exactly where the ball was going. And Shanahan talked about that, how clear and how much clarity he was playing with and how good mm -hmm. his rhythm and vision was. He went, he actually gave him like three sentences of praise about that. Um, and they rattled the crap out of him. And Daryl Johnson was doing some weird-ass agenda pushing during the commentary <laughs> by saying, like, Tua was over-amped up and emotional, and that's why he was missing throws. No, he was missing throws because for the first time he – and now they were missing their two starting tackles, but even with their two starting tackles, for the first time he was dealing with bodies around his feet. They were pushing the pocket into him. His feet had to be a little unsettled in the pocket. And then – um, his accuracy, the windows he's throwing to is tighter, much tighter spaces. So the Dolphins offense, the I can simplify it into the simplest terms is that they try to attack open space. And they create open space because they have the two freakiest, fastest guys in the NFL other than Jamar Chase on the outside. Yep. And they scare the crap, living crap out of anybody. And because they create so much space with their speed, there's a lot of space between the linebackers and the safeties for Tua to just layer these balls. And that's where often you see some of them, you know, being a little bit inaccurate, but it's okay because he's often throwing the spots and they sight adjust and they do a really good job adjusting to his throws and catching the football. And so yes. they played, they, they were doing this with amazing rhythm, rhythm and efficiency. Try doing this against Fred Warner and Dre Greenlaw with how much depth they get, how much ground they cover. I mean, Fred Warner had two incredible pass breakups before his interception, but that's what was causing the inner, that, that's what was causing Tua to be inaccurate. It was right. the pressure. It was the late safety rotations and what D'Amico was doing because he wasn't 100% comfortable with what he was seeing. And then the margin for errors on throws that he was usually comfortable making was now reduced because these windows were a lot smaller. Daryl Johnston, the fact that he tried to create this emotional agenda, what the hell was that without crediting a defense that Michael Irvin was putting on the same conversation with the 2000 Ravens, the 02 Bucks, and these legendary type defenses? That was Maybe the second worst thing Daryl Johnston said after he tried to claim that Christian McCaffrey ran into Melvin Gordon's foot, and that's why he fell down. Don't even get me started on that, Rob. God, <laughs> wow. I hate Daryl Johnston, but Vish has got some moose problems. Um, Dude, no. I cannot stand when he commentates Niners games. It is awful. What does Derry Jones have with Fox to keep sticking these former Cowboys <laughs> on these games? Give me Schlereth. Bring back Schlereth. Schlereth. Uh, Mark Sanchez. Greg Olson is awesome. But I'll just say this, like, I agree on Moose. It wasn't some mystical, magical, unknowable thing that was causing no. Tua Tungavailoa to be off. It was the best damn defense in the NFL. It's, it's not a coincidence that those two things happen at the same time. Yeah. Debo Samuel said it after the game. Tua was shook. That's a direct quote. He said Tua was throwing gimmies out there. And I he was. He was. And by the way, Miami Dolphins, Oh, of seven on third down. Like, that's the thing. The Niners didn't just eke this out. They dominated this offense. And don't tell me that Mike McDaniel didn't want it, that it was just another game. He wanted this game bad. He had a conversation with Matt Mayoko on the way in. And Mayoko's talking to him about, hey, this is your old stomping grounds. And his response, which, first of all, he looked like he did not want to be talking to Matt Mayoko. But McDaniel's response was, oh, 
You guys noticed I used to work here. I didn't think you noticed that. Don't tell me it was just another game. He wanted to beat his old boss, Kyle Shanahan. And instead, Kyle, once again, continues to dominate his assistant coaches. I think he's like 12 and two against his assistant coaches, something like that. It's ridiculous. Yeah. And, and it was kind of, it was kind of this perfect moment. And I tweeted during the game and this was half tongue in cheek, but boy, if it's right, you best believe that I'm going to be victory parading it. But I was tweeting, is this to win (laughs) McDaniels McVay golf? Bears moment where things kind of get figured out what they're doing. And I don't think it is because no other defense has Nick Bosa and Fred Warner to kind of do what the Niners defense is doing. Right. It's not like they were reinventing the wheel on how they were stopping them. They were just better at stopping them than other offenses. But I do think that it was kind of a moment where McDaniel has done so much to build up all this equity and uh, praise from so many different people. And he's built his quarterback up. And I felt like that progress, the Niners defense ripped it away from them. They made Tua second guess everything. And we'll see how Tua bounces back from this, because I think that's really the story of most people's careers, um, how they bounce back from adversity. And Tua's had to bounce back from adversity to play like how he's played this year. And we'll see how he bounces back from his first um, on-field, a non-injury adversity this year. But they they shook him. They shook him. He was scared. One thing I wanted to show, and that is, let's see if I can throw it in here. I hope everybody can see that. It's the Tua Tungavailoa passing chart. Coming into the game, no quarterback and no team in the league had thrown the ball to the intermediate middle of the field more than the Dolphins and Tua. And no team was better at stopping that than the 49ers. Thank you very much, Fred Warner. For those of you not watching online, the passing chart for Tua, there is one completion between the hash marks for the entire day. Everything else is outside the hash marks away from the middle of the field. So what the 49ers did was take the offense that lived in the middle of the field more than anybody else and completely shut down their greatest strength. And I give people so much credit for that when you can absolutely take a strength of the other team and turn it into a weakness, you are damn good and the 49ers were damn good at it yesterday. I 100% agree. Was that last pick thrown by Skylar Thompson? Yes. Because okay. Tua got hurt at the end of the right. game. Right. On the Bosa right, strip right, sack. Right. right, right, right. Okay, okay, okay. I was going to say I thought there were three picks, but okay, yeah, I forgot that detail that Skylar Thompson came to play. But you're absolutely right. They they eviscerated this offense, Rob. They eviscerated him. And I do want to talk about McDaniel in particular because I thought yesterday was a little bit more revealing about his personality. I thought he was very amped up for this game. And I he comes across as a very, very cool guy. But I would say that, you know, if we're comparing contrasting the Shanahan McVay guys, he is closer to the um, spectrum where he's like McVay. Um, there, I would say all of them are pretty uptight guys. They're tightly wound. I think the amount they grind uh, to do their job, they all have to be uptight. But I think he's more like McVay in the sense that he carries his emotion and wears his emotions on the sideline, as opposed to Shanahan and LaFleur, who are quite stoic besides Hmm. the occasional outburst that happens with every coach. And you could see him pacing up and down. You could see him getting frustrated as Tua was missing these open receivers. You you could feel him being frustrated about a Mike Gesicki catch that was so obviously incomplete. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know what he was complaining about. But yeah, you could you could feel that frustration the entire time from him. And I thought that was a little bit interesting. And I do think that, you know, had had another coach shown the kind of emotion and frustration that he had shown on the sideline, a lot of people would have a lot to say about it. <laughs> and that other coach is Kyle Shanahan. And so well, Kyle does show a lot of uh... he does. He does. And we do talk about it on a weekly basis. But that brings us to what I do want to talk about, Rob. And I've waited 44 minutes to bring it up as well Hold as on. your phone call. Really quick. Okay. Sorry. I want to throw, show one Go more thing because you talk about McDaniel. Uh, there's a picture of him. I don't know if you saw it. Is it him like looking away as they hug? No. McDaniel uh, is so deflated on yeah. the sideline. If you're watching on YouTube now, he just looks like somebody took his Halloween candy and threw it down the sewer, which, by the way, once happened to me. But that's a long story. Um 
He looks utterly deflated. So don't tell me this game didn't mean anything to him. Okay, I'm sorry. Dude, dude. I, I derailed it's, you. It's, let's think about this for a second. Before we go to what I really want to talk about with you, Rob, and what I've been waiting to talk about with you this entire time. Okay. Um, Let's think about what Shanahan has done to the guys that work under him. He went into L.A. against the Rams' number one defense and beat them with Nick Mullins. Okay. <laughs> He beat Matt LaFleur in the NFC Championship game one time without scoring an offensive touchdown and one time with his quarterback throwing the ball eight times. He now beats Mike McDaniel with a rookie, Mr. Irrelevant, starting at quarter or not starting at quarterback, but playing every position for the 49ers on offense at quarterback besides one drive that resulted in three points that Garoppolo paid. He's not only beating these guys, he is taking their will away. <laughs> and I think it's really funny, but the reason I brought all this up, Rob, is because I tweeted out, and I know you're going to disagree immediately, but I do think the conversation will be good. No, I disagree. What. But uh, I tweeted out that yesterday was Kyle Shanahan's regular season magnum opus in terms of the mm. way he managed the game, the way he controlled Brock Purdy, the way he increased Brock Purdy's confidence, the way Purdy gave him confidence too, the way he played with the lead because it got really kind of shaky at 20 to 10. And then the way they ran the ball after stopping them on fourth down. Now, the one bad moment he had on the game was when the ball went from the 10-yard line to the 30-yard line in a span of two plays. Like, what the hell is going on? What are you doing? What is this clock management, all of that? But thank God Robbie Gold bailed them out. But besides that, I thought situationally, the way they played complementary football, the way they played through their defense, I thought this was a beautiful head coaching performance from Shanahan. I really do like the way he's starting to manage the game a little more. They ran out the final six minutes and 18 seconds against the Saints when it, all the Saints were trying to do is stop the running game, and they did it. And look at yesterday before the half. Niners get the ball back two minutes and 47 seconds left. They go on an 11-play drive for 76 yards, go all the way down the field, and stick it into the end zone with Four seconds left. The Dolphins did nothing with the remaining four seconds. Perfectly managed. And then, of course, they get the ball first uh, in the second half. Now, they didn't do anything with that opening possession. But they were taking time off the clock. Their field goal drive, first scoring drive of the second half, that was a seven-minute drive, 12 plays. Even the four-play drive where they got another field goal, that was a 90-second drive. They were taking time off the clock and managing the game, and I thought it was brilliant. And Debo had an awesome play at the end of the game where he gets a little quick pass and he's running near the sideline and he knows exactly where he is on the field. He gets spun a little bit kind of sideways and he tiptoes to stay in bounds and cross the first down marker. It was awesome. It was incredible. And for a guy that's received a lot of criticism, I would say in terms of these kinds of things, he, I thought he managed the game masterfully and Rob, I mean, Next time I would like to tell Kyle Shanahan something, I guess I'll just ask you to say it. Because apparently, oh, yeah. you, you've worn him down. He goes for it on fourth down now. Yes. Apparently, he goes for it on fourth down with the seventh-round rookie, too. <laughs> if, it only, if it takes half a decade, that's fine. I believe he is starting to. I think he's starting to realize, like, if we don't get it, it's not disaster. It's not the worst thing in the world. I love that he was aggressive going for it on fourth down. Keep it up, Kyle Shanahan. And how about Brock Purdy on that quarterback sneak? He runs the QB sneak, and I'm like, oh, no, Jimmy's gone. This is not automatic anymore. And the announcer is even like, oh, it's going nowhere. And then before he can even finish that sentence, Brock has kind of like spun off to the side, and he's charging forward and getting the first down. Yeah, that, that, the, those were where the baby Bosa legs came in. And I actually made a mistake. <laughs> now that you mentioned the Brock Purdy um, sneak, the reason that throw to the flat when he escaped pressure to Christian McCaffrey on third and four or whatever was so important too was because the next, the subsequent play wasn't the pick to IU. They converted the quarterback sneak and I think they kicked a field goal on that drive. So that play was actually a very good one because if they don't get those three yards on third and four yes. or whatever, third and five, they don't go for it on fourth down. And so it was a turning point in the game. Um, Yeah, Mason looked good too. Mason did look good, uh, as Chris watching on the Facebook page pointed out. Give me more Mason, man. He's earned it. The dude runs hard. He always finishes forward. It kept them on. And because Christian McCaffrey, like, again, if you look at his yards per carry, they look good because he ran for 66 yards. But he had 30 on one play. 
So right. he had 16 carries for 36 yards. It looks a little different. And actually, even his yards per carry on the day was just 3.9. Jordan I thought he Mason, should have scored on that one play, too. Yeah, it looked like he actually throttled it down to stay yeah. in bounds. Um, I think, but he also knew he was he didn't have the speed to break away the from juice. Ball in there. Yeah. Uh, eight carries for Jordan Mason, 51 yards. That's almost six and a half yards per carry. He had a 19-yard run. I think he looks good. Honestly, like I wasn't sitting there yesterday going, we miss Elijah Mitchell. No, I'm sorry. And I don't mean that as a knock to Elijah Mitchell. I just think Jordan Mason looks good. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Um, And I definitely wasn't going out there thinking, man, Hefe and Heem are running wild and we're going to miss Hefe and Heem. Bleep around and find out, Raheem. How'd you guys do? Three carries in the second half. You know, in what was essentially a one-score game or a two-score game for most, like yeah. get get the hell out of here. Oh, man. so there's there was the other thing I wanted to point out. You know, there's and McDaniel was supposed to be the run game guy, right? And I've I've seen interviews in the past when he talked about how he got into the run game. He said McVay and Lafleur when they got to Washington would be all over the pass game, and it was tough to compete with them. So he mm-hmm. became the run game guy because there was an opportunity there because those two guys were in majoring in that. But the point is, the one thing Shanahan seems to have, and maybe it was the 16 Super Bowl that scared him into this, he seems to have a maturity. Actually, I don't want to say this because he's also not done it a couple times this year. But for the most part, he sticks with his run game no matter what. And he tries to bring it alive throughout a football game. Yeah, sometimes too much too. But I think that's something we're seeing from Mike McDaniel a little bit, where yesterday his quarterback was so rattled and the game was close, and you're playing a seventh-round rookie, take a deep breath and figure out what we can do to run the ball. And instead, McDaniel was kind of seeing uh, – it felt like he was seeing red, and they were throwing the ball over all over the yard, and Tua was missing Tyreek Hill every other play, and Tyreek Hill still somehow ended up with 120 yards. It could have been 220 if he <laughs> had Brock Purdy at quarterback. But either way, yeah. And then that I thought the it all culminated in um, – when you feel pressure, I feel like what when you do something unaccustomed to what you usually do, it, it's where I feel like you're really feeling pressure. That's where I feel like you're talking about choking. And going for it on fourth down from your own 17-yard line with six minutes left in a one-score football game was a stupid decision. Now, they converted it, but it was a stupid decision. Why are you scared of a seventh-round rookie quarterback when you have – in all pro corner and Xavier and Howard, you just gave up a first over first round pick for Bradley Chubb. Jalen Phillips is a first round pick. Christian Wilkins was having a hell of a football game. You have that many pieces on your defense and you're scared of a seventh round Mr. Irrelevant. No, he was fearing Kyle Shanahan. He felt the pressure of the moment. He didn't feel like his offense and quarterback was playing good enough and he didn't know how to react. And that's where when we talk about McDaniel, we talk only about the good things he does. And right. I'm a really big fan of him. And I, yep. I, I like talking about the good things he does because he's a great guy. But these are the little things when we want to break down a game and we want to say, well, what did Shanahan do for his team to win? These are the things that McDaniel did for his team to lose. I generally like guys going for it on fourth down, but that was a shock. I was a little surprised he did that, but I think he knew. He knew. His defense is cheeks. They're not good. Everybody, like, we get blinded by that stuff. The Dolphins' defense is not good. They beat up on a bunch of tomato cans the past four weeks, and everybody thought that they were like this unbeatable juggernaut. No, man. No. We're the juggernaut, okay? And I know that Brock is there. We're the ones, you know, there's that famous scene in the movie Watchmen where that guy Rorschach is in jail. And he says, when are you guys going to figure out? I'm not locked in here with you. You're locked in here with me. That's the 49ers right now. Everybody else is looking at their schedule going, oh God, we got to play the 49ers. Yeah, that's it. Cause we may not win, but we're going to beat the hell out of you. Before we go, do we, do we want to talk about how far we think they can go with Brock Purdy? Sure. I have a little, Yeah. How far do you think they can go with Brock Purdy? Yeah, so in terms of how far they can go with Brock Purdy, Rob, in my opinion, look, I still think with the defense they have, they're pretty set in stone to win the division, I would say, and make the playoffs even with Purdy at quarterback. And now a lot of people bring up, well, they've never won without Jimmy Garoppolo. Can you stop citing that (laughs) wins and losses stat for me? Forget Garoppolo versus Nick Mullins, okay? When did Nick Mullins get to play with Nick Bosa and Debo Samuel and Trent Williams and Ayuk? 
from what I remember in 2020, it was Debo was hurt. Bosa was out for the year. Trent Williams was banged up. And so I, I, I'm, I'm so sick of that. But the point is, I think they can go just as far. And what's the worst case scenario in the playoffs? Brock Purdy plays like crap in the playoffs. Oh, my God. The 49ers have never won a playoff game with their quarterback <laughs> right. playing like crap. Oh, wait. They've won every playoff game they've won in the last three years with their quarterback playing like crap. And that's no disrespect to Jimmy Garoppolo. It's just mm. a reality of what he's shown on the field in the playoffs. He's not it's a little bit of disrespect football. to Jimmy Garoppolo, but I'm fine with it. Yeah, and so the point is I I don't see a lot of change in perspective from that standpoint. And I think the one big distinction with this defense compared to the other defenses, how they're taking the football away. And this offense also has brought the turnovers down. Garoppolo followed that theme and started that theme for the last four weeks. And we'll see what Purdy does. But yesterday he did a phenomenal job taking care of the football. And so that's where I I sit here and say, Robin, it's not to diminish Garoppolo because he is a better player than Purdy. There's no doubt about it. But it's to say that this team doesn't play through their quarterback that much. And they really just need their quarterback to make a couple plays on third down. And Purdy did that yesterday. And he he, he can play how he played yesterday. I, I don't see why the 49ers can't, you know, have the same ceiling they had with Garoppolo with. Brock Purdy and their defense is scoring points. It's scoring touchdowns. Um, it's getting a couple of takeaways every game. That's very impactful. Jimmy Ward is getting turnovers. That never happens. He had a great interception yesterday. Yeah. Just let me just throw this out because some people are saying NFC Championship game max. And I know we got a long way to go before the end of the regular season. And I admit the Niners could lose to anybody going yeah. forward. But if it holds right now, the Niners are the three seed in the NFC. You know who they'd play in the first round of the playoffs? The New York Giants. You think that the Niners are favored by three this week going against Tom Brady. You think they're not going to be favored? They can't win a game against the New York Giants and Daniel Turnover Jones? Like, no, I'll take that right now. The most one-dimensional offense in the playoff picture. By far. By far. You telling me the Niners defense won't feast on that? And then the one fear is that, oh, shoot, Wink Martindale is going to do some crazy shit and scare the crap out of Brock Purdy. Well, it turns out Brock Purdy's the most confident man in the world. (laughs) Brock Purdy was picked seventh in the seventh round, and he's Mr. Irrelevant. And he was talking yesterday in the press conference like he is the franchise Mm -hmm. quarterback. And then you got Fred Warner dropping quotes like, yeah, Brock Purdy just drops, you know, is throwing no-look passes against us in practice. Like, apparently Brock Purdy, not a lot scares the guy. He's just got a great way about him. And I I don't want to make these assumptions off of such a small sample size. But some of the things that were said about him by Fred Warner after the game made me think, like, who does this guy think he is? And why can't I have the confidence that this guy has? So how far do I think they can go? Do I think they can win a Super Bowl? No, I don't think they can win a Super Bowl because I think you're going to have to go through either Mahomes or Josh Allen. Uh And I'm sorry, Brock Purdy might be good, but he ain't on that level. But who knows? What I said yesterday on the Instant Reaction Show, to me, the rest of this season is house money. I'm rooting for the 49ers. I think they could win any game. I think it's entirely possible, but I don't expect them to. So however far they go now, like, all right, like, let's just enjoy it, right? Enjoy this week. Everybody's going to be saying nothing but good things about the 49ers this week. Enjoy it. They're not going to win every game the rest of the year. There's going to be a week where they get whooped probably because it's going to happen. But, like, just enjoy the wins as they come and let's ride it out. Who the hell knows, man? Who the hell knows? I agree. And, Rob, I hate when people say, oh, no championship is possible as well. Because I think it then diminishes some of the conversations we've had over the last three years. Who the hell was sure that they were going to win a championship with Garoppolo at quarterback? Who are you going to favor in the Super Bowl if they run into Cincinnati with a really good football team in Joe Burrow? Kansas City, really good football team in Patrick Mahomes. Buffalo, really good football team in Josh Allen. In all of those games, despite the Niners having a better team and the worst quarterback, It would kind of even out, and we saw in the 2019 Super Bowl that quarterback was what ultimately made the difference, and the teams are close, but the Niners have the better team, but the quarterback then, you know, mitigates the margins between both teams, and that's where, like, okay, yeah, I I agree that, you know, there's only so far they can go, and Brock Purdy has these limitations. My issue is that I, I wasn't sitting here telling you that I'm convinced that they can win a Super Bowl with Jimmy Garoppolo, period. And so I'm not going to sit here and write off Brock Purdy and say, 
you know, they can't do what they did with Garoppolo. Now it's going to be tougher because they have to manage him more because he's just not as good as Garoppolo. But there is a certain possibility. And then I keep coming back to the playoffs, Rob. I, I'm not reiterating this to be disrespectful. But if the worst case scenario is that the 49ers have Brock Purdy playing as bad as a quarterback has ever played in the history of the playoffs, can they win? Oh, my God, Rob. They've won six playoff games like that. Now, just to refresh everybody's memory, Jimmy Garoppolo in the NFC Championship game against the Rams last year. And yes, I did save this from immediately after the game. In the fourth quarter, he was three of nine for 30 yards with an interception and a 4.2 quarterback rating. If I just erase the name off the front of that and said that was Brock yeah. Purdy, would you be stunned? No. So, like, we've seen this team have bad quarterbacking play in the playoffs, and they still almost went to a friggin' Super Bowl. So I think you're right. I think you're a thousand percent right, Vish. Let's do the reverse exercise on that, though. If you took Brock Purdy's performance from yesterday, you erase the name and put Jimmy Garoppolo in front of it. How good do you, do you think we? there would be five articles from The Athletic talking yep. about how the 49ers need him to win, how well he's played? Because to me, Brock Purdy played as well, if not better than what Garoppolo played against the Saints. And most people were talking like Garoppolo had been playing great football even after the Saints. That's what we do. That's what we do when Jimmy Garoppolo plays well. Tim Kawakami can't wait to fire up an article about how they need him, and he's the right guy for this team right now. He did it again two weeks ago. Hell, Sunday morning, there was that garbage report from NFL Network. Well, under the right circumstances, Jimmy Garoppolo and the Niners may come back. Yeah, great. Let's not yeah. outline what the right circumstances are. Maybe they were Garoppolo saying, I want 40 mil a year, or I want Trey Lance to be shipped the hell out of town. Or maybe the right circumstances were the 49ers saying, great, if you play for 5 mil a year, we'd love to have you back, Jimmy. Like, it was a nothing report probably put out there by Garoppolo's agent, who, by the way, has run circles around the 49ers since Jimmy Garoppolo came to town. But no, that if Jimmy Garoppolo did what Brock Purdy did yesterday, the praise for him, he outplayed Tua Tonga-Vailoa. He, he, Tua was looking great. And Jimmy outplayed him. He's not flashy, blah, blah, blah. All the crap that we've been saying. You're a thousand percent right, Bish. That's the smartest thing you've said all show. Oh, I appreciate that. It makes me a little worried about the other things I said. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but no, no, I agree. And I, I do think like, when we say things like that, I think people will look at it as like, oh my God, like they're hyping up Brock Purdy. No, I think what Brock Purdy did yesterday is what he needs to do for the rest of the season. Yep. Give them a chance to win the game. Do not lose the game for the 49ers. And as long as he gives them a chance, which is exactly what, I mean, he gave them more than a chance. He made a couple of plays, but um, if he can give them a chance by not losing the game in every single game throughout the season, I don't rule the 49ers out of winning. Why? I think that defense is that good. And they are. Mr. Solo Dolo says, Purdy had pressure in his face all game. He stepped up. Don't forget he played four years in college in the Big 12. He has way more experience than Trey Lance did. He's sort of the anti-Trey Lance just in terms of experience. But I got just this one right here. Frank at high. I don't know if that's even how you say it. If you doubt Purdy, you're not a true fan. Shut up. I'm so sick of other 49er fans gatekeeping fandom. Give me a break. Sorry, I'm doubting the guy that was the last pick in the draft. Yeah. Do you know that next week, Brock Purdy is going to become the first Mr. Irrelevant at quarterback to ever start a game in the common draft era? Okay. Yeah. Wow. Sorry. I'm doubting wow. him just a little bit. Don't take away my 49ers fan card for that. Like, give me a break, Frank. How does that even work? Like, did you get sent a card? I'm yet to be sent a card. Is, is my fandom revoked? Is that why they haven't sent me one? Well, yeah, it, may, it takes a long time to, for the card to get to Connecticut, apparently. Oh, um, I mean, I would hope they go through Chicago before they go through Connecticut. <laughs> Maybe they can hand me one. So, yeah, like I said, just have fun with it the rest of the year. Have fun. This is going to be a crazy ride. We have no idea what's going to happen the rest of the year. Brock Purdy could start and finish out all the games. They may go to the playoffs. They may make a deep run. Brock Purdy could get hurt. And then we're talking Josh Johnson or maybe Baker Mayfield. If that ends up happening, like we have no idea where this season is going to go. The only thing we do know, Vish, is that come hell or high water, no matter what happens, we will be here. Niners Nation will be here for you. We'll be here every Monday, 10 a.m. Pacific time on YouTube, on the Niners Nation, Facebook, Twitter, my Twitch page at Stats on Fire. Please follow me there. I just started it. I need some subscribers, so please hook me up. We will be here breaking it all down. I look forward to this show so much every week, and it is because of you, Vish. So thank you. Uh, I appreciate that, Rob. I love doing this show. We've done it for, what, five weeks now? 
and it's been really enjoyable. We started off a little shaky, but I mean, since then, all you've been wearing is the Victory Monday t-shirt. So that should tell you all yeah, about baby. What, what kind of karma this show has brought for the Niners. There it is. Victory Monday from Homage. You can check it out. Get your own right. Victory Monday shirt. They have the best 49ers gear out there. There's a link to their website. It'll take you right to the 49ers page in the description of this show on YouTube. It'll be in the podcast description as well. Vish, they're eight and four. They're eight and four, and we have no yeah. idea where it's going to go next. Eight and four. Eight and four in the – I mean, look, Vegas is playing a lot better like very quietly under the radar. They've kind of fixed a couple of things on defense and their offense is good. Vegas's offense is good, but I, I think the Niners should win that game. I think Washington, look, Washington's defense can pose some troubles. Mm-hmm. I don't think their offense has much of a chance against the 49ers defense. I'm sorry. I like them in that. I really like them even with Brock Purdy at quarterback against every one of these teams, because I talked about it yesterday. I don't talk about the quarterback when I'm talking about these matchups, I'm asking the question, how are you going to block Nick Bosa? Oh, you can't block Nick Bosa. Niners are beating you. You can't block Nick Bosa. (laughs) Niners are beating you. So I'm excited, man. Eight and four. And even with Purdy, like the confidence he gave me as a fan walking in playing the way he did and the confidence he played with yesterday I'm still excited. I'm not losing hope, and I don't think anybody should. They could have a they could go two and three the rest of the way and still win 10 games. That's probably going to get you into the playoffs right. in the NFC. Right. So right. buckle up, everybody, because it is right. going to be fun. That's going to that do it. First playoff game could be Heineke or Daniel Jones. Yep. Sign me up, please. That's going to do it for this edition of the show. Please subscribe to the Niners Nation YouTube page if you haven't done it already. Hit that notification button so you'll know every time we go live. We're going to try and do it more and more. And please rate, review, and follow the Niners Nation Podcast Network. You can follow me on Twitter at Stats on Fire. You can fire Vish on Twitter at Vish Kumarin. I know that was kind of anticlimactic. It's on the screen there, but yeah. I figured I would do it anyway. Enjoy the rest of your victory Monday, everybody. We'll talk to you next week.